Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. All right, welcome back to the show, Taylor. Part two of our Match of the Century. Yeah, we're here. I'm still licking my wounds from the first debate. <laughs> well, don't you score yourself and just give yourself a 10 out of 10 and everything, or you get all the points? Or Well, yeah, that's what I do throughout my whole life. That's how I win <laughs> out on St. Lawrence. You're like the kid in school that marks all their own tests and somehow gets perfect on everything. <laughs> yeah, this episode, again, like we said, we had to split it into two parts. I thought there was a ton of value in both yeah. episodes. But we'll dive into that. But we did want to highlight today that you guys may have noticed the quality of the podcast has been getting better. We've decided to work with a new production company, LMB, and they've been fantastic at supporting us. So we're going to be coming out with some more video, social media clips, some audiograms. So, you know, you won't have to listen to our voice. You can just watch it quietly and the text will come up at the bottom. But um, yeah, we would appreciate if you guys, you know, followed and shared some of those videos for us and spread the word. Yeah, things are looking up. Things are looking up, that's for sure. Yeah, just like the market. Yeah, always a good time to buy. Yeah. Okay, well, enjoy the episode. And yeah, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, reach out to Stefano. Yeah, sounds good. Time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the ice maker section. Brought to you by myself, Matt Glenn. Okay, welcome back for round two, guys. We're just going to dive straight into it. To recap on last week, we touched on accessibility, growth, and cash flow. We went off on a few tangents here and there, but if you haven't listened to that episode, it is a must listen. Otherwise, you'll be completely lost (laughs) in this one. So we're just going to go straight into tax efficiencies. And yeah, essentially, I think this is where your strengths are probably really going to come out. Stefano, did you want to take the lead or do you want us? Sure. And just a quick recap, I'm taking the opinion that investing is the end-all, be-all, only way to accumulate <laughs> assets to build your wealth. Yeah. While you guys are taking whatever else goes. <laughs> what are the, the sloppy seconds? <laughs> and again, all for real estate. I don't think that there's any right way to do just one thing. It's, you know, having a responsible way to do many things. So yeah. not against real estate, but today I am. Yeah. yeah. And full disclosure, this is 100% tax and investment advice. So, you know, you can hold Matt liable for it. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Reach out to us for yeah. your individual real estate or investment plan. Yes. Tax efficiencies. So we don't have to go far to see how tax-efficient investing can be. And we'll start right at the top with the government of Canada. They have these exorbitant amounts of laws, legislation, rules around all of the ways in which you can build wealth through investing in tax-preferred ways. And that starts with, on the individual side, applicable accounts that Canadians can invest in. The big ones to note, the most common ones to note are RSPs or Registered Retirement Savings Plans and TFSAs, Tax-Free Savings Accounts. Those two environments come with such unique tax features that have not been seen in essentially anywhere else in the world. When you are looking to build wealth inside of those tax-preferred environments, you get to do so 
really efficiently because as we know as Canadians, we pay quite exorbitant amounts in taxes on our income. And my argument would be at such low rates of income as well, that to utilize these environments is far more advantageous than to hold other asset classes outside of registered tax preferred environments and be taxed as if they are fully taxable to each individual, to each person in Canada. Yeah, 100% agree. RSPs are a fantastic tool. TFSA, I would say, is probably even better. Obviously, unique to each individual. You know, if you're yeah. in a high income earning bracket, you're probably, you want that tax efficiency. Maybe you'll go into the RSP model a little bit more. Both of those, I will highlight, have plans where you can use those to buy real estate. So obviously another point for me, the government's on my side stating that you should use those to buy real estate, but <laughs> the scoreboard's just going to have Taylor's name on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In terms of tax planning from a real estate point of view, there are some major disadvantages, but I think they go hand in hand for similar type of, you know, let's just say capital gains, right? If you have a rental property, because we're talking about it as an asset and as an investment. So if we have a rental property and you make a net gain from the time you purchase it, from the time you sell, you know, 50% of that is going to now be added into your taxable income tax bracket, which is a super difficult thing to mitigate. So anyone that has bought and sold real estate as an investment in the last 10 years, probably noticed that they had a capital gain on that tax year, which is incredibly difficult to control unless you want to offset it with that. I was just going to say the way to do it is so, to invest. Yeah, you know, it's, that tax it is the ebb and flow. Like as One much of, as we don't want to work together yeah, today, <laughs> kind of forced back because we have to, but during that time, I guess my point would be if you were never to sell that property, and not never, let's just use a 20-year horizon. If we were to use a 20-year horizon, you may not cash flow to the point where, because we're going to have write-offs, interest payments, property tax, insurance, strata fees, anything like that, maintenance. So the rental income is mostly just going to pay down that principal. So you'll have to pay tax on that portion that's paying down the principal of the mortgage and any excess cash flow. Usually on most of these properties, there's not a large amount of that cash flow, you know, and I'm not trying to argue myself on in terms of the return of investment, in terms of tax planning. For the first five to 10 years, a lot of people may not actually pay any tax on most of that income because it's just paying off debt or interest. And when you get to the point where you have an excessive amount of income that you can't control and you don't want to offset with say RSPs or something like that, well, then you can do refinance and you're going to tap into a ton of that equity, essentially tax deferral until you want to sell. So I would say, again, it comes down to not trying to day trade and having a plan of if you hold that property and you want to leverage it, into something else. You have the tool, much like you know some of these assets you're talking about, you have a tool where you can balance it, where you're really not paying tax until you sell. And that's when you're going to be hit with those capital gains. So there is a it's way a to- good defer. argument. You're making the golden rule of tax planning, defer, defer, defer. So, I mean, yeah, achieving something similar as you can in registered environments because of what you just described. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I think as much as we're trying to argue, I do want to agree that it's a relationship where you have that balance back and forth and it is planning. 
You know, if you're thinking about selling a property in the next couple of years, you want to know exactly what your capital gain is going to be. You want to know how to offset that. Yeah. You want to know how to mitigate that. If you're self-employed and you have the ability, maybe you pay yourself less that year. So then when you sell, the capital gain isn't as high or you work with Stefano. But that's the big one right there to me is there are tax efficiencies, I guess, in both products. That will have the biggest impact to anything you do financially is the tax planning that you'll do. So in terms of some of these dividends that are coming off, like if someone's receiving, say, $20,000 of income from you know, an RSP or a TFSA or anything like that. Well, I guess not a TFSA, sorry, but an RSP are now declaring that income personally. How do you avoid paying that tax outside of just reinvesting it back into the RSP? Like it's kind of a snake eating its tail where to offset the income, you have to continue to invest in that. So you're getting the tax deduction. Like that's kind of what the government wants people to do, right? Is build up wealth. Like that's why the encouragement is to use those products. Well, so I'll pick on, you said the holy grail of investing from a tax perspective in Canada is the TFSA. It's better than any other environment in the world, essentially, being that you put a dollar in, it grows tax-free, you pull the dollar out, even that has grown, and it's tax-free. You pass it on to the next generation, it's tax-free, or a beneficiary, it's tax-free. It's just so unique. You know, I'm of the opinion that I wish Canadians had hundreds of thousands of dollars of TFSA room to be able to utilize you know, they have limits. Yeah. Sorry. What is the maximum contribution right now? Like, do you remember when this originally came out? 2009. 2009. It's 88 and a half thousand right now. Okay. Lifetime contribution. Clearly I don't have that much, in. <laughs> but I wasn't on res, so I wasn't allowed to for a while, but I agree with you hundred percent. If you have the ability that should be maxed out. Yeah. The RSP is different. The RSP allows you to upfront receive a tax deduction by making the contribution. So in an instance where you earn a dollar of income and you pay some taxes on that dollar, you take that dollar and put it into an RSP, the government says, we'll give you the taxes you paid on that dollar back in the form of a tax refund. Yeah. So it gets deducted off your income. The growth of that dollar in the RSP environment grows tax deferred, meaning as it's growing every year and generating that investment income, there's no taxes paid. Where they get you CRA on RSPs is down the road when you go to pull that dollar out of the RSP, you have to pay the taxes as if you earned it as a dollar of income in the future. So the idea, and this holds true to the overwhelming majority of Canadians, like over 90%, that in your RSP contribution years, you're contributing at a higher tax rate than you will be in the future when you look to draw down on those assets. That's the basic premise behind RSPs. Non-registered is a third environment that Canadians can use, and it's the most flexible in the sense there's no contribution limits, but you do have to pay taxes on the growth, that investment income that's realized, interest, dividends, capital gains, or losses. You have to pay the taxes on that realized income in the year in which it's realized. So that's why you try to take advantage of registered environments first. So I guess... Would TFSA really be the only one that you could essentially defer those taxes? Like there's no other way other than reinvesting and mitigating your taxes with an RSP. Well, you eliminate the taxes altogether, yeah. if that's what you mean. Yeah. But you defer taxes on RSPs and actually tax but yourself you, at quite a lot. But you can never access that capital again. Right. Like once it's in an RSP, unless you take it out, but then it's and a tax. And pay the taxes. That's right. Yeah. So that's the only 
issue I have with RSPs is like, it's a good tool if you're in a high tax year, but then the money's kind of gone. Well, it's to be drawn down appropriately at a point in time in the future. Yeah. So that's where you have to work on your tax planning to know that yeah. when's the right time to start drawing on the RSPs to achieve just that, to be drawing it out at a lower tax rate than when you put it in. Because if oh, yeah. you do achieve that, then yeah, you have benefited. Yeah. From a tax perspective. I just feel like I'm way too controlled at that point. You know, I want to <laughs> access my money. Okay. So again, we're going to chalk up that one for Taylor and Matt. <laughs> but, no, I could chalk no hitter yeah. here. You too. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, I thought there would be more topics that we'd split apart. And yeah, you definitely won this, but yeah. it comes back to they complement each other. Or maybe I'm just being too nice. And Okay, so passive versus active, I guess, in terms of a lot of people want to say real estate investing is passive. I would definitely say you're wrong. There's really no, I'd agree with that. There's no way to invest in real estate passively. Yeah, you can get property managers, but if you're not involved in it, you're not going to do very well. And then in terms of, you know, conventional, traditional investing, I guess if someone wanted to be as hands off as they could, they, you know, obviously could be, they work with a professional like yourself. What are the fees associated to that? Like some people are going to want to do this by themselves on Robinhood, Questrade, self-directed RSPs, et cetera. Those people are probably not going to do as well as working with someone like you, but I guess, where's the margin? Like, are the fees generally built into the asset class that they're buying? Or do people pay you guys directly to manage their portfolio? How does that look? Are you okay disclosing some of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a firm, one of the ways in which we make our dollar is by helping people manage their assets. So we take the philosophy that, you know, again, studies show the majority of Canadians don't know how much they pay when it comes to investing. But we take the philosophy of disclosing that to everyone we work with as a dollar item outlined on their statement. So we believe in transparency. And so it's a annual percentage that gets charged and broken down monthly. So one twelfth of, let's just pick on, I don't know, 1% gets broken down and charged one twelfth of that each month. Okay. And that's just a general percentage. Our firm, it's changes all the time and scales with. Is it pretty generic? Like, is it regulated by the authorities at all to say this is kind of a standard fee or do most firms charge a similar amount? No, it's not regulated, but I think there's a general consensus out there around amounts and types of fees that are charged when it comes to investing. Okay. And that's mainly because of, again, access to information people being able to do their due diligence and get an understanding of the landscape. And that's what exactly we do when we try to put ourselves in a competitive position. So if someone had a portfolio with you, and I'm sure it gets broken down on you know how much capital they have or et cetera, there's some metric, but let's just say someone's been with you for years, their portfolio's averaging seven to 8% return. Is the management fee roughly about a percent then broken down over that 12 month period? Yeah, it scales with assets under management. Yeah, so the okay. more under our purview, the less you pay. Okay. And then so, how passive is it for your clients? Like passive? Like you do it all? Tell them what's up? Or how involved do they have to be? So it's funny because our industry has taken, and this has come under scrutiny in our industry, especially I would say within the last decade, Yeah. around this idea of active management of investments or investable assets and passive management of investable and assets. And in our industry, that means that on the active side, 
you employ a money manager, say in an instance of a mutual fund, that you pay a professional because you feel they have the ability to outperform say, their given benchmark, what it is that they're held as the standard against. And this person that you're employing has the ability to do that. Yeah. And so you pay a fee for that. And that fee is typically known as an MER, management expense ratio, in a mutual fund version. This idea of passive is what has reared its head over the last decade and a bit, is just the idea that it's very difficult for those professional money managers perform what it is that they're benchmarked against or where you know the standard is held against in what we would call indexes or indices. I mentioned earlier about the S&P 500, that would be one of those indexes that typically money managers are benchmarked against. And it has been shown time and time again, and after study and study, that it's very difficult, net of that fee, for active managers to outperform that index in particular. I'll pick on that one. But I was reading indexes. that, that it was like outperforms majority of the time. That's interesting to think about. So that's active and passive in our world. Yeah. As for involvement of how active or how passive the individual needs to be, what I would say in our world, that's what we do. Even if you are choosing to go the passive route by holding ETFs or mimicking the index and your style of investing, environments change, laws change all the time. And this, again, is a perfect example over what was advantageous 18 months ago, even in a passive version of investing is not advantageous today. And we don't have to look too far to see how that goes in the investing world, whether it's energy as an asset class, or infrastructure, or publicly traded companies. The environment is always changing. And so our goal is to make sure that we put our clients in a position to stay ahead of that from an investing standpoint. Yeah, I think in terms of in the point system, you might win this one because you could do a true passive investment, you know, if you wanted to be pretty hands off, pay someone to do it. Whereas in real estate, even if you have a property manager, the purchase side of it, you still have to be involved tax reporting, like find the property, finding the property, doing the mortgage on it. Like there's not a service or a coach that's going to do everything for you. There just has to be your involvement if you want to be successful at it. Yeah. You got to figure out what you want to do. But I help people with is go look at property. Like, do you like it? Is it the amount of work? Is this what you want to do? Do you buy a turnkey one that's just brand new building? Or do you buy one that you want to work on, which is obviously not passive. If you hire trades, you're going to deal with them. You hire property manager, you got to Obviously, be in touch with that. I guess the one positive for real estate in this argument is you have the ability to turn the faucet on and off in terms of how much you want to be involved. Yeah. You know, working on the conventional side, you don't really have that ability where, hey, I want to take over management for the next year of this property. I want to throw some paint on the walls and put in a bit of sweat equity. Yeah. So you do have that ability, but it's probably more difficult than most people think. And Really, you're just creating a job for yourself. Now, if that's your goal to create some more autonomy in your life and generate some income from your property by controlling those expenses, you have that ability. So there's nice to have some flexibility in terms of real estate, but I think you win this one. Well, <laughs> from a passive investment point of view, listeners, you can track that's for them. Real estate is definitely more hands on. I don't think it's even arguable, but I guess the point is if you 
like to do that stuff. Like if you like to swing a hammer, or if you like to deal with tenants, you like to go fix the plumbing issues. Like some of those things I like to do, but at the same time, my schedule is free where I can just mm-hmm. do it because you don't pick the time. It's when you do those things all the time. Right? Yeah. So, and I would say going back a few arguments ago, that would be even one to incorporate when it comes to what's the total value of growth net of, yes, we talked about expenses, but also your time. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't incorporate that into the equation because your time comes with value. And yeah. yeah, I know it's difficult to quantify that, but yeah, it's still yeah. a factor. Something to think about for sure. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. You know, maybe... Eight, nine years ago, I thought I was super smart. And I was like, yeah, I'm in passive investing. I'm in real estate. But uh, it's not passive. Kid yourself. It, it is in some ways. Like, it's not fully passive. It is generating income without It's you. passive on a scale of one, two properties, maybe. You can outsource some of that work. You can pay for managers, pay for trades. A certain level, you have to be pretty involved in terms of the You're purchase. The like, so, like, my real estate sale, like being a realtor is obviously a 0% passive. Right, like it's hands on the time, but my rental properties, there is a level of passivity to that. Yeah, so we need a right word for that. But like there is, it's not fully, but it is, it's getting. Yeah, right. I would say it is a fairly passive investment in terms of, you know, if I was going to go do day trading on stocks myself, yeah. for sure, real estate, I would believe would be more passive. But working with a financial advisor that's going to manage a portfolio and you have quarterly meetings. For an hour, you know, four hours a year, probably less work. Yeah. Okay. Well, you let's. You guys are having the debate with oh, Go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're shooting ourselves. In the butt. <laughs> yeah. Debating each other. This is great. Yeah. Damn it! You are good. Give at me something to do. <laughs> okay. Well, let's kind of wrap this up with risk to reward. This is a good one. Yeah. It's a good one to end on. Okay. Yeah. Do you want you to take it away? Okay. You guys go so this time. Personally, I feel pretty passionate about real estate generating a massive amount of wealth. And I think for me, what it really comes down to is you have to invest in what you're interested in. Like Matt, you said it before, you have to invest what you want to be educated in. And you have to invest in something you're willing to work with professionals and take advice on, like not to to my own horn, but probably the other way. I've invested in everything and I've done so terribly at them all other than real estate. It's because I'm interested in it, like reading about it. I like listening to podcasts about it. I like speaking to other individuals about it. I have invested in a lot of different asset classes, a lot that we've spoken about today and last week on the first episode invested in commodities gold diamonds silver you know crypto actually i've done pretty well in my crypto portfolio but at the end of the day none of them have actually changed my life as much as real estate has and you know i don't owe that to being a really sophisticated real estate investor i just owe it to time in the market and not timing the market you know i bought a couple of my first properties right before the real estate crash in 2008, day trade them, it did well. I feel there's little risk in the sense of that disconnect in the emotion, in the sense of there is a regulatory body that tells me how much I'm able to leverage as much as I hate it and try and find ways around it. There are appraisals that happen for the lenders. The lenders do their due diligence on commercial properties. It's debt coverage ratio. They need to make sure that you know, that property is essentially going to be acceptable to them. If I default and walk away from it, they're going to be happy to take that over in terms of management. So I do feel that there's a lot of inherent 
you know, regulatory bodies that mitigate the risk. And the upside to me is massive in terms of what we spoke about before and appreciation and cash flow. Yeah. That's kind of my summary of our debate. Do you guys want to jump I in? I just feel like I love what you said there. You know, like real estate changed your life. I feel exactly the same way. Like I would not be where I am today without having real estate. But that being said, like I have not really explored seriously Stefano's route. But like for me, I know that exactly. I don't consider myself a genius. I love listening to it. I like working on properties. I like physically doing renovations. Like I just always have, but just owning the properties, getting rental income has completely changed my life. It's like not even on the same scale of what I did before I knew what I know now. And I believe in it obviously full on. And there are some risks, but I think that the upside is like life-changing. So risk and reward (laughs) of investing as an asset class. So I'm going to sound not as eloquent as you guys just did when it comes to the impact <laughs> yeah. that real estate has had on you guys from a risk reward perspective. So when we look at risk and reward, they're essentially tied at the hip when it comes to investing. We know that. What the advantage that that poses to us is it allows us to set expectations. And the expectations that we get to set is nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. And if they say they do, they're crazy. But what it allows us to do is give us an understanding as to where it is we've come from, where we are today, and make some educated inferences as to where things could play out in the future. And setting that expectation from a emotional standpoint and behavioral standpoint when investing will by far put you in the most successful position to stick with what it is that you're doing. At the same time, the risk reward conversation ties into, so now looking at that, what can we expect and what have we seen over the last over 150 years in which you know, markets, and I'm going to pick on equity markets again, have existed. And the first comment I'll make, and it's a pretty bold one, is that we have never seen a period of time to date where equity markets have gone down and never come back up again. We have never seen a 20-year period in which equity markets have gone down and never come back up again. There's a 99% chance, and I'm going to pick on the S&P 500, that over a 15-year period, you will put money in, and in 15 years from now, your money is going to be in a positive position. So when it comes to the reward, the reward is directly linked to your ability to see it through. As for the risk, what's the expectation during that 15 or 20 year or 30 year period, you're going to see fluctuations. And that'll be determined by how much you're able as an investor to handle will determine what those fluctuations could look like from the low side being very minor to none at all to the high side being pretty significant. Like if we go back to the Great Depression, you're talking declines of very significant values. But since then, we've seen significant growth. But With that came the pain of declines. So risk and reward tied at the hip in the investing world, with the reward being far greater if you have the ability to stomach the risk and see through the risk. So that's my argument for why investing, if you have the appetite to and desire to and ability to see it through, you'd be in a far better position than, say, any other asset class. I was just listening to you talk about this. So like, this had a thought where like either of these things, like what's risk and reward just not investing at all? 
Guaranteed loss. Guaranteed loss. In my opinion, yeah. Due like, to inflation. It, inflation, taxes just will erode your dollars away quicker than you can. Yeah. So the reward is like a negative, really. And the risk is like, if you work with your hands, you could be injured. Like anything could happen or you just also don't have any more money. It's a security blanket, but it also opens up so many doors that you don't even know or exist until you start getting into these kinds of things, right? So I feel like, yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Like doing nothing is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Doing something is better than that. Yeah. What that something is, you know, could be anything, but really whether it is real estate or it is investing traditionally, heading down one of those paths is by far a greater option than it is to just do nothing. I think it's evolved so much in the last 40, 50 years in terms of investing and in terms of accessible information and education at our fingertips. But it's almost to the point now where there's so much information that you can't do it by yourself. You know, you have to work with the team, even networking with friends and investment style, like-minded people listening to these type of podcasts. But yeah, definitely not doing anything was more of a mindset of maybe a couple generations ago where it was save money, pay down debt. Live on your pension. Yeah. Put it in your mattress. This will, you exactly. Know, like buried in old your... age security, CPP, all those things were good maybe 50 years ago. For our generation, like when we're ready to retire, you really need to take action for yourself and for your own family. And now there are a lot of tools and, and we're just not talking about evolution in terms of real estate investing or people to work with, but like these RSP, TFSA, like TFSA 2009 came out, like that's pretty recent. And you know, they change those regularly where, hey, now you can use your TFSA yeah. as part of the down payment and first time home buyer. So the only way you can be ahead of this and grow wealthier and beat debt is essentially working with educated people and being proactive about it. So take action. And you know what, like I said before, in my own investing, made some terrible decisions. I've lost money like everyone does. No one's never going to lose money. There's always going to be that inherent risk like you're talking about. But the lesson that you take out of it, like to go for, you know, Tim Ferriss, instead of spending a hundred grand on his own MBA yeah. when started investing, you're going to lose some, you're going to make some, but like, what is the education worth to you? I think there's value there too. And we can't really quantify that in terms of like monetary value, but you know, to go out and buy a property and sell a property and work with a tenant or to go out and invest in the S and P and learn how to manage that yourself. There's a huge education and that's going to create opportunity in the future. So, yeah. And then the comment I'd make is recognize your blind spots and know where you need to pull in the right people, fill those gaps for you. Absolutely. And that's, you know, working with realtors, mortgage professionals, financial planners, advisors, whatever it is, just recognize that we all have them. And so pulling in someone to help you in the areas that you have a gap in will only be to your advantage. Totally. You can't do it all by yourself. Exactly. I feel like that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, really lays out this situation quite well. Before we go, we kind of touched on this quickly, but like, what are your thoughts stuff on crypto? Cryptocurrency? Yeah. Yes. Crypto. <laughs> Unique asset class that's very young. Yeah, very young, for sure. And so I just attended a conference here in Kelowna, actually, that was tailored to our industry. And one of the talks specifically was on crypto industry. And they broke it down very nicely in the sense that there's the technology behind yeah. what crypto allows us to do. Yeah. And then there's viewing it as a 
currency asset class. So the technology is unbelievable. Like the I'll just say that. Yes, like all of that ledger, holding accountability, reducing fees, transparency, increasing efficiency. It is for sure the future, in my opinion. Like even listening to this doctor who presented on it, yeah. who lives in Kelowna, actually. She's like brilliant. Get her on the pod. Yeah, we actually, you guys, Dr. Sarah Johnson, she is wonderful. Yeah. No doubt in my mind that that's where a number of industries our world is heading, or a number of our systems. As for it as an asset class, I would take the same approach as I would with any other asset class, whether it's real estate or investing in stocks, is just be responsible. Don't expose yourself to that one particular, especially what we've seen over the last couple of decades that it's been around, the volatility that we can experience in that asset class, it's very, very difficult for the average person to stomach that. And more importantly, it's very difficult to understand why it's happening because of such a short time horizon that we've been able to experience it. As for where it's going, I have no idea if it'll be adopted or not. It seems like more and more countries, industries are not shying away from it, the financial world included. Like, you don't have to look far to see what happened in the US about a month ago with a number of filings for what they call spot ETFs that replicate the value of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. Yeah to be able to invest dollars to get direct exposure yep. to that without actually having to buy Bitcoin. There was like, I don't know, dozens and dozens of filings that happened in the US in the past month to do that. So that seems like there's a future in both sides, more in the technology in my opinion, yeah. but it seems like- right I now, agree with you. Like, yeah. I agree with that assessment because like you look at the NFTs and you get like the, what were they, like the drunk ape or these pictures yeah. that had they had the blockchain attached to them. And like technology is obviously very interesting, but at the same time, like why is that stupid picture with a hundred dollars, yeah. right? So like, <laughs> like it was just obviously not quite calibrated right there. But I feel like you're right that the technology behind it is pretty promising going forward. Yeah, it's amazing actually Yeah, from the presentation I, I saw. Yeah, I agree. Right, well, we'll have to have her on the, the show. Yeah, that'd be great. What do you think of it as an asset class, let's say? I. Personally, I think it's just way too volatile. And you said it perfectly, that it's just way too young. I think there might be a future for it. There likely is a future for it, but just right now, like you just can't have those kinds of swings. Like unless it's set aside money for that, I could see people doing that. But like, if that's your main retirement plan, I would seriously consider doing something else. There are tokens that are non-volatile. They're just using the blockchain technology as an actual currency i agree technology's good will some countries allow that system to be used so frequently i don't know personally as an investment i've actually done okay with crypto yeah i spent a lot of time researching and buying and using different platforms but to be honest i can't wrap my head around it enough and explain it to like a grade four to understand where I don't feel like we going back to what I said before, like you have to be passionate, educated, interested, just not at that level where I personally would like to hold a lot of it as a portfolio. I need to be able to walk somebody else through it in the span of half an hour and explain the pros and cons of it. And I just can't, you know, I feel like I'm on dragon's den for that reason. I'm not, <laughs> but I do think it's here forever. And I do feel everyone should own a little bit of it and get a little bit educated. 
but I don't think you should be leveraged in it. And, yeah, and definitely not leveraged. <laughs> yeah. And the way that I've done some research into it is the book by Mark Carney, yeah. who was the former bank head yeah. of Canada and England now. Yeah. He wrote a book called Values, and he explains the evolution of the value of money and how we came from a bartering system to currency to where it may go. And it's a huge book, so you could maybe just pick out the part around crypto and digital assets, but it's pretty interesting kind of his thought on where he sees currency going into the digital space. Interesting, I didn't check that so, out. Yeah, it's a good book for that. Where we, where we came from, where we are today to where we'll go. It was cool to see. Cool. cool. Well, we're gonna wrap this up and yeah, I think the score was six nothing. <laughs> no, just six because we were doing on the board. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the tie ball game. You really, they go hand in hand, and yeah, yeah we appreciate you coming back on the this show, Stefano. Awesome. Well, oh, this is great. Enjoy every minute. Yeah, obviously, we'll put your information in the show notes again. People, feel free to reach out to Stefano, and yeah, if any of this interests you, there's a lot of unique products, but yeah, I think the main. Point was just connect with people that you want to work with and educate yourself and uh, and do something do something invest in something mm-hmm. yeah like yeah maybe take your own score because <laughs> Taylor's are <laughs> but yeah hey yeah. listen yeah. to the episode you said it well though like you said take action and I think that's really the main point yeah right and yeah well give us some feedback too any of those topics you want to dive into a little bit more let us know and we can dissect it again okay All thanks right. guys thank you so much thanks. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.